you know, the songs that they played this morning. It's such a key to what we've been dealing with here on Sunday mornings about our position. And I just sense that the Lord wants to do some things throughout today's service. And, and so just stay in this attitude of just expectancy and attitude of just um, receiving from him. And I believe throughout this morning, I believe our eyes, eyes are going to be open to some things that maybe we haven't seen before in specific ways. And I'm always out for the Lord to open my eyes. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know everything. And so I'm always open and, and receptive of what Apostle Paul prayed, that I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be opened so that you might do what? So you might know the hope of his calling the inheritance that we have in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power. So I believe every time we get into this word, and every time that we come into a corporate setting like this, I believe it's the time for our eyes to be open to who you are in him, to what you have in him, and the power that he's placed in you as well. Amen? Amen. And there's this attitude of just being receptive. There's a word that, that I... I, that Lord just uses with me oftentimes in my walk with him, and it, it is the word yield. You know, yield, if you're going, you know, coming to an intersection and there's a section where you can yield, what does that mean? Meaning you're, you give way to the person, that you give way to something that's coming that direction. And, and what, what the Lord wants me to communicate to you this morning is he wants you to yield. Because, it, because yielding has everything to do with where, where he wants to take you in your life, what he wants to do in your heart, what he wants to do in your family. Yielding to who he is. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms chapter 5 and Romans chapter 12. So appreciate our worship team and their heart after God. Thank you, Cassie, and all the teams for the time that you invest. Hallelujah. Psalms chapter 5. We're continuing dealing with our position in the secret place. Psalms chapter 5, verse 1 says, Listen to my words, O Lord, and give heed to my sighing and groaning. Hear the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. In the morning you hear my voice, O Lord, and in the morning I prepare a prayer, a sacrifice for you. Watch and wait for you to speak to my heart. That's what the Amplified says. Watch and wait for you to speak to my heart, meaning in the morning I'm going to pray. O Lord, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice. Say a sacrifice. So not only was he going to pray, but he was going to prepare a sacrifice for you, for God, and wait, watch and wait for you to speak to my heart. You know, as we've been talking about the secret place, we're talking about that this secret place isn't just a, a, a place where we feel good. It's not just a, some super spiritual place that we can't understand or don't know anything about. This secret place is all about a place of prayer, right? And we've learned and discovered what prayer is. Prayer isn't talking to God, but it's communion with God. It's not begging God. It's not, it's not yelling at God. It's not nonstop talking to God, but it is, it, it is communication with him. It is fellowship with him. It's joint interest. It's the act of sharing one's heart. 
We've learned that, that, that prayer is about inviting God right into the middle of your situation, right in the middle to your circumstance, right in the middle to your hurt, right in the middle of wherever you are in your life. It's inviting him in so what he can be a part of wherever you are and whatever you're facing and whatever you're going through. Prayer, we saw last week how Jesus built his life upon this. This was the foundation. This was what strengthened his foundation. Our life is, is built upon Jesus. It's built upon the word. But what strengthens our life, it's this position in the secret place. As so I hear David is saying, in the morning, I'm going to pray. In the morning, I'm going to prepare a sacrifice. And what? I'm going to watch and wait for you to speak to me. See, prayer is that relationship with him. And I just, just believe that, that, that we're growing in our relationship with the Father. Because that's his desire for you and I, that our relationship with, in him would grow. Jesus even prayed this. He goes, I, I pray for you that the same unity that I have with the Father, you would have that same unity. Yes. See, this is what the Father desires and has always desired from the beginning. This life in the secret place. Every man or woman of God throughout the Old Testament, and we look at Jesus' life, they understood this position in the secret place. You know, I, I was thinking about position, and, and I was thinking, you know, how many of your, your kids ever played sports? Whether it's basketball, foot, football, uh, you know, baseball, wh- whatever it is, you know, soccer, you know, it's like they, you know, you watch them play, there's the ball. And you can tell where the ball is because that's where all the kids are. The kids are where the ball is. They're, 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 they're positioning. Why? They're, they're going with everyone else. They're going with the way the rest of the world goes. They're going everywhere because that's where the ball is. That's where the focus is. And that's where the attention is. And, and, and if you were playing professional sports and you did that same thing, you would lose time and time again. Why? Because you would be out of your position. You'd be out of your position. I love watching them play and doing that, but in the natural, a lot of times we look like that spiritually. We're running out what everyone else is running after. We're in fear because everyone else is in fear. We're facing it because everyone else is in fear. Well, the ball's over here, so I guess I need to be over here. You know, but no, stay in your position. And what's our position? Our position is in the secret place. Now, we're going to get into our position being in Christ here in a few weeks, but, but, but I still want to, to deal with this because this is vital to our walk with God because this is how our relationship with him grows. There's nothing you could do to, to become saved except believe and receive. But you know what? You have everything to do with the growth in that life. You, you have everything to do with yielding to the grace that caused you to succeed. Amen. A lot of times we like to sit back and say, okay, well, whatever will be, will be. Well, if God, if God wills it, then it will happen. No, that's not, how, that's not how Jesus lived his life. That's not how the Apostle Paul lived his life. It was in a constant pursuit of this position in the secret place. Now, let's look at verse 7. He says this, David says, this, but as for me, I will enter your house. Through the abundance of your steadfast love and mercy. You could say his presence. I enter your house. I enter your presence through the abundance of your steadfast love. I enter to the, in the secret place through the abundance of your steadfast love and mercy. And what are we just singing about? He's faithful. Singing about his amazing love. He sings over us, right? 
And here, David, what is he saying? I, I enter through, I enter into this secret place because of what? His love, his steadfast love and mercy. And then what he says, I will worship toward and at your holy temple in reverent fear and awe of you. Wow. So it's through this love that he comes into this presence. And what does he do when he gets in there? He says, I will worship towards your holy temple in a reverent fear in all of you. Reverend, that's not being scared of God. That's just so humbled because you have such a revelation of how much he loves you. See, he's entering there because of God's love. But what causes him to worship? It's this understanding of this love. But as for me, he said, see, see, this is every meaning. This lets me know when everyone else is doing this three verses before this, he talks about what the wicked are doing with the with how the wicked are deceiving, how the wicked are are being deceitful, how the wicked are telling lies. And then he says, but as for me, I'm going to enter into his temple through his because of his love and his mercy. And because of his love and mercy, I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship this word worship. One of the definitions of prayer is to come near to worship. It's come near to ask. It's come near to make requests. But it's also come near to worship. The word worship means to to lay prostrate before. It means to kneel before. It means to yield to. It means to bring something before. Anytime in the Old Testament you see the word worship, as you saw what David said, I will pray, but also prepare my sacrifice. It had to do with bringing something. It had to do with bringing something that was of value. It had to do something, bringing something that cost somebody something. It, it had something to do with bringing something that they, were, that they were so appreciative of what they were bringing. They were so expectant because what they were bringing was something that was valuable. We need to value the secret place. We need to value this secret place in our daily lives. Worship. You know, too often we treat casual the things that God's called sacred. Let me say it again. Too often we're casual with what God's called sacred. And too often we're familiar and complacent what God calls holy. I remember years ago, and I'm not going to put any labels on anything because I don't want you to have a perspective or perception about ministry or thing like that. But, but I had the opportunity to go to a conference, and, and this was a number of years ago in 2001, and I'd never been to a conference like this, and, and uh, showed up there, and, and man, I, it was 30,000 people in, inside this arena. And... I've never been in a place of seeing people worship like that. Man, it, it was everyone. It just, it just be, even, before, even before the conference started, the atmosphere was electric. The atmosphere was, it was like, wow, you could, you could the expectancy and just the, the people that were just so intent because this conference was, they were known for their worship and they were known for things like that. And, and I, remember, I remember sitting there and hearing that when it started, the spotlight went on the, the center of the stage and it was just a few people with, with classical instruments, you know, cellos and, and violins and it was just beautiful. And then all of a sudden it went into the other musicians and it went in and they had like a 200 person choir and man, it was... Was, it was phenomenal. I, I'd never been in something like that up to that time. And, and I was like, I just came from a 150-member church in Maryland. I was like, well, golly, this is, this is, wow. 
I had never heard worship like this. And, 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 and I, I, I knew God's presence, that God's presence was in this place, man. I was like, wow. Man, I just wanted to take it home with me. And, 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 and they, finished the, they finished the worship, and then the, the, the preaching started. And Casey Treat was preaching, um, you know, this, this session that I was at. And uh, it was a night service. But what was, what was perplexing to me because me growing up in, in, in word of faith and being familiar with the word, I was like, they finish the worship and everyone's walking around. It's like, it's like did they, someone let everyone go? What, what, was, what was going on? I mean, and I'm like, I'm like a, I mean, someone's preaching here. Someone's preaching. And people are just got walk, talking to each other. They're walking between aisles and people around. And I mean, it's a huge place. So I know it didn't, it didn't mess up the minister or anything because of lights and, and all of that. But I'm, I was like, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I was listening to the Lord, and he said this. He goes, he goes yeah, they, they understand this aspect of my presence, but yet they don't have an expectancy for the word. He goes, yeah, they, they understand one aspect. And, and he told me the same thing. He said, Justin, you need to be careful in your own life as being a person that ministers the word that you... You exalt preaching more than you exalt my presence. And he was like, he was like, he goes, you, you see this, this aspect over here, but then you have another dynamic over here. And, and, but it all comes down to what are becoming familiar with what God's calling holy. You can't treat the word lightly because it's him. You can't treat his presence lightly because it's him. Because, because he desires to show up whether music is going on or whether preaching is going on because worship comes down to is nothing has nothing to do with music now it's how we respond to him in certain ways but worship goes way beyond a sound we re- a, a sound we make it's a substance we release so when we talk about worship you have to understand it's beyond. It's, it's bringing yourself. See, David says, says, but as for me, I will worship towards you. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We approach your word, Father, with humility. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Open our hearts. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and the Amplified, it says, actually, let's read chapter 11, verse 36. For through him, for, for from him and through him and to him are all things. For all things originate with him and come from him. All things live through him and all things center in and tend to consummate and to end in him. To him be glory forever. Meaning he is the beginning, he's the end. Everything surrounds by him. So what to God be the glory? Meaning give glory to him because he is the substance of everything, right? So then the next verse says, I appeal to you therefore. Meaning because he's everything, because everything ends and begins with him, because of that, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies presenting all your members and faculties to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So because he's everything, 
I appeal to you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What did David say? I come into your presence through what the, your steadfast love and mercy. And here the apostle Paul says, says, because of his tender mercies, because of his amazing love, I want to encourage you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Be, you can read it this way. Because of the mercies of God, I beseech you. Because of the love of God, I beseech you. What? That you might present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service and spiritual worship. So what's Paul saying? Because he's everything, bring your body, your bodies, your spirit body, your soul body, every part of you. Bring your spirit, soul, and body. Bring everything and bring it as a sacrifice before God. Everything. Bring everything before him. In the next verse, we're familiar with this. It says, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind with the word. Now, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say renewing your mind with the word. That's what we put there. Let me teach for a moment here. Present your bodies a living sacrifice and don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed in your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't have to do with renewing your mind to the word. But the thing is, is your, your life will never be transformed until you bring yourself as a sacrifice. See, you can hear word all day long, but until you choose to submit yourself to that word, your life will never be transformed. Until you choose to bring your life under that word, your life will ne never be transformed. You see, don't be conformed to this world. Put it this way, in the context of worship, don't put all your attention in the world because then you'll be shaped by it. Don't be molded into the world's image, but instead be transformed. See, your transformation has everything to do with what you're worshiping. And see, worship is neither negative or positive. Worship is what you're giving your attention to. Worship is what you surrender to. Worship has to do with what you spend your money on. Worship has to do how you treat your spouse. Worship has to do with every area of your life. It has nothing to do it, because it take, worship takes on the nature of whoever's giving it. You see, a person that, that might be smoking crack, when they're lighting that pipe, that's worship. Someone that you're sitting in front of a computer screen and you're looking at pornography, that's worship. Someone that's giving of their tithes in the offering, that's worship. See, worship, worship is about what I'm giving myself to and what I'm choosing to give my body to. That has everything to do with transformation in your life. It's impossible to be transformed if you don't bring your mind, your will, and emotions. It's impossible to be transformed if you don't bring your body. It's impossible to be transformed if you don't bring your spirit before God. You have, we have to come to a place of worship, and worship has everything to do with where you're bringing your life. Everything. What are you giving your life to? Giving our, give your life to relationships, giving your life to, to you know, having, you know, be, pursuing finances or pursuing material things. God has n no problems with material things. He has the problem of you worshiping, worshiping them. That's right. 
He has a problem with, with them, them having you instead of you having them. But I tell you, everything you do is worship. The question is, what are you worshiping? Because whatever you're worshiping, you're either being conformed to or you're being transformed by. And so what I want to deal with this morning is worship brings transformation. Any area of your life that you want to see transformed, it all begins with worship. Let me say that again. If you want transformation in an area in your life, it all starts with worship. Let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Worship is about being transformed, whether it's by the word or whether it's by his presence. Hallelujah. And worship is that aspect of prayer. It's coming near, right? It's coming alongside of it. It's approaching him and allowing his influence to bring transformation in your personal life. Hallelujah. John chapter 4. You know, in this John chapter 4, is one of my favorite chapters in the book of John. And, and we see this story from a standpoint of Jesus, starting off, Jesus is tired. He's, he's wore out. He's, he's been ministering. He's been giving out and giving out and giving out and giving out. And he comes to a place and he stops there and the disciples go off and he sits by a well. And, and he says, but we have to go through Samaria first. And as he, he gets there, he gets to this woman at the well. And this woman, that he encounters this woman at the well. And, and as he's sitting there, he goes, he goes, would you give me something to drink? And, and so the woman is like, how me being a Samaritan and you, would you ask me for water? He goes, he goes, he goes I, have, I have this living water. I have this eternal water. And if you would just ask me for this living water, you would have water and you would never thirst again. You would never need anything else in your life if you just got a hold of my water. My water is different than anybody else's water. My water refreshes like any other, no other kind of water. My water renews. My water makes things grow like no other water makes things grow. My water has eternal properties in it. My water has supernatural properties in it. My water is something different than you know anything about. And so she said, where, where, where are you? you don't even have a bucket. <laughs> and so Jesus went on and talked about how good this water is. And I'm telling you, she, she did what she goes, give me this water. Give me this water. I believe that's something that we all want. There's not one person in here, by the sound of my voice or watching way of, by way of internet, that you don't want what this woman asked for. But too often we think we have it already. Or we already know all about it. This water... This water, and, 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 and she, then all of a sudden they, they go into a thing, and he, he said, give me this water. What did she start talking about? She started talking about, about well, go, go get your husband. Where's your husband? And she was like, well, I've had five husbands. No, he said, he said you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with is not your husband. And she goes, I guess, and perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> But what does she go right into? She goes into and talks about, well, you know, you, 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 us Samaritans, you Jews, we have different perceptions about worship. You say you need to worship on this mountain, and you say worship on this mountain, but Jesus says, says there's a time coming. That, and the Father is, is looking for 
worshipers that will worship him in spirit and truth. It's interesting that when Jesus asked her about the five, told her about the five husbands, she brought up worship. So the father's looking for worshipers. There's, there's only a few occasions that we see what God is looking for in scripture. We see in Proverbs, he says, a faithful man who can find. We see in Ezekiel, he said, he's looking for a watchman to set on a wall. In 2 Chronicles, he talks about my heart. My, I'm looking throughout the whole earth, looking for someone's heart that is turned towards me. And then there's this one. My father's looking for worshipers. It's amazing. The four times that God's looking for something in scripture, all of them have to do with either faithfulness or prayer. And there's the fifth one, faith. Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? So God is looking for these worshipers. You know, and some of you heard me teach on this. I even talked about this in Connect class a few weeks ago. But just to bring it back, I won't stay on it too long. But I'm saying, what, how do you worship in spirit and truth? If God is looking for worshipers and Jesus says, yeah, God is looking for worshipers that will worship in spirit and in truth. How do you do that? What does that look like? If God's looking for it, then I want to be it. If God's looking on it, hey, look no further, God, it's right here. How about you? Is that your heartbeat? Is that, is that if God's looking for something, do you want to be it? Do you want to be it? I, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be the one that God's looking for. But how do you worship in spirit and in truth? And, you know, it's kind of silly, but, ooh, I'm worshiping in spirit right now. Ooh. Ooh. I have my favorite song. I like this part. I like this part of my song. I like this song, man, because I really feel him right there. Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh, that's spirit. I'm worshiping in spirit right now. Oh, man. But see, we, we set up these religious parameters on what causes God to move. When if it's just us bringing ourselves as a sacrifice. So worship in the spirit, how do you do that? Worship in spirit. The word spirit there is suke, which means with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. It is the same word that we see in Matthew 22 when Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when he's looking for worshipers, he's saying, I'm looking for someone. God's looking for someone that will bring all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. And then he says, in truth? How, how do you worship in truth? What does that look like? How, how do I know if I'm doing it? Well, he said his word is truth. Does that mean I speak his word back to him? No, the word truth here is not concealing anything. So when God says, I'm looking for worshipers, he said, I'm looking for someone that will give me all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, their finances, their opinions, their wills, everything, and not conceal anything. But for me, that, that was a difficult thing. Because what if I don't like my truth? What if God doesn't like my truth? You see, Jesus was confronting this woman with truth. I think really the heart behind why he even brought the situation was, and, and then dealing with worship was, look, you gave worship to five other men. But if you had just come before me, I would have brought the right one. 
You've tried to do this five times and your worship, your affection, your attention and everything you were about were these about these five other men. And the father's just looking for someone just that will give them everything and let them have their truth too. There's times in my life and my walk with God, serving God, I didn't like who I was. So why would I bring myself before God? Why do you, why do you not truly give him everything? Are you waiting to get too good for him? Are you waiting to get good enough for him to accept you, good enough to receive you? See, God likes your truth. He died for you while you were yet a sinner. Jesus stopped and looked up at the sycamore tree to a man that was a tax collector that no one liked, and he said, today, I'm going to abide at your house. See, only you know what your truth is. But God is saying, I want it all. I want, I want all of you and even the things you don't think I want. Yeah, I, I, I don't want you to hold on to those things, and I'm not, I don't want you to keep those things, but I need you to bring me all of you. Because until you bring, all of, until you bring me all of you, I can't fully transform you. Because there'll be something about that truth that will be always be bigger than what I can do. Your failure will be always bigger, bigger than my success for you. Your addiction will always be, be bigger than how I can set you free. Your financial lack will be always bigger than what I can provide. Worship is all about allowing him in to transform every part of your life. I see this in, throughout the scriptures. I don't have time to turn to them. I just talk out of my heart this morning. But I, as I was praying over this, the Lord took me to, to Genesis chapter 32. And, and looking at the life of Jacob. And, and seeing Jacob's life. And, and looking at it here, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you have this one that is in line to be the, 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 one of the fathers in the faith. To be... Uh, a, a man, a father of many nations and being a part of this thing that God is doing in the earth to see you and I come to pass. But yet Jacob, he, he was born, his name means supplanter. It means one who desires the place of another. And throughout his life, he, he, he not only was that, he, he deceived his brother, deceived his father. And his whole life, he was known by what his name was. I'm a deceiver. That was his truth. But he got to a place where, where he was tired of it. He got to a place where, where he was tired of he He, had, he even was deceived for, for 14 to 20 years with Laban. Not only was he a deceiver, but he was deceived the majority of his life. And he was tired how, how this truth was constantly controlling his life. It was constantly dictating everything about him, so much so that now he's leaving Laban, and now he's afraid of Esau. He's afraid of his brother. So now this truth that caused him to be something he never wanted to be is now controlling fear in his life. And he gets to a place, and he sends his family away, and it makes this amazing statement, and it says, and Jacob was left alone. I, I, I like that statement, but I don't like that statement. No one likes to be alone. But what you need to see is until you get alone with God, you got to get alone with God. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you come here on a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night. You're part of a Thrive group. 
I'm so grateful for that. But you need to be able to get alone with God. It said he got alone with God and said there was an angel of the Lord there and it said he wrestled with him. The word wrestle means to beat into the dust where worship means to lie prostrate in the dust. And so as he's, he's wrestling with this angel of the Lord, so to speak, he's wrestling and the angel says, let me go because, it's, because daybreak is taking place. And Jacob held on to him. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until something changes in me. I'm not letting you go until the truth that my entire life has been about until it changes. So he said, and he says, I will call you. You will no longer be called Jacob, but I call you Israel. See, all of a sudden now he's transforming one truth to God's truth. He went from a man that was deceiver to one one that prevails with God. That's what Israel means. You're like, what does this have to do with worship? Well, if you read uh, the next verse after he names him, it says, and he he asked the angel, what's your name? And he says, why would you ask me my name? I believe it's a representation of Jesus. Changing our identity. Causing us to be ones that prevail with God. But what what does Jacob say? He goes, it said, he named that place Peniel. Which means one who has seen face to face with God and was preserved. Better rendering of that word preserve is rescued. Was with him face to face and he rescued me. He rescued me from myself. Father, thank you for rescuing me from myself. It took Jacob, took Jacob an act of worship to allow God to transform his life. Think of David in Psalms 51. He, man, he brings his life, and he really is flat out honest with God. I've been wicked. I've been a sinner. I've done this. I've done that. And one of the verses he says, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Meaning, meaning I, I want your forgiveness. I want you to restore me. Two verses later, he makes a statement. He says, create in me a clean heart. So he went from, from just restoring something that I don't want something that's Restored. I want something brand new. I want something brand new. Go, go, to, go, to, go there, because I believe there's something I need to get across here. He says, in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right, persevering, and steadfast spirit within me. See, David's truth was, hey, I failed. I made a mistake. I treated my family wrong. I wasn't a good father. I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good leader. I was a murderer. I committed adultery. And so this was David's truth. And really he gets down to it and he says, God, I don't want you to just redo something. I want something brand new. I want something that's never before existed. Amen. Make me a new creation. Do something within me that, that, that there's no other trace that this ever happened in my life. Here David was reaching into a new covenant that he didn't even have a right to. And he's reaching in and saying, because I know there's a Messiah coming one day that's going to make new creations. And I want in on that now. Glory to God. 
But you have to understand, if you go down to verse 17, he says, my sacrifice to God is a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, broken down with sorrow from sin and humbly and thoroughly penitent, such a God you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in the sacrifices of righteousness. See, this was all in a response to his sacrifice. He's saying, I bring myself. I bring me. I bring my truth. I bring my broken. I'm not waiting for my heart to get fixed. I'm bringing the broken one to you. The contrite heart, the crushed one, I'm bringing the crushed heart to you. See, and it's when you bring him truth and you worship him with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you let him into your truth, he has the ability to transform it. I think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, he says, I see the Lord high and lifted up. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, Everyone was mourning for, for, for a long period of time, and, and, and yet everyone was overtaken because they looked at kings in those days almost like God. So he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, when everyone is mourning, when everyone is, 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 is mourning him, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And it says, and his train filled the temple, which represents his presence. And he, and he said, he goes, I saw angels. I saw the fair, fair, seraphim. He goes, they had six wings. And they flew around the throne of God and they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. See here, Isaiah is in this presence. He's in this place of worship and he's seeing worship take place. He's seeing true worship take place. But what does he do? He recognizes his truth. He said, man, He goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. Man, I live with a people of unclean lips. And he said at that time when he recognizes truth and chose to bring even his failure, even his uncleanness to God, it said he took coals off the altar and he came and and the angel put it on Isaiah's lips. And he said, surely you shall be clean. See, transformation takes place when you choose to give your truth to the Father. What are you lacking right now? What are you needing right now? Worship. Bring him your truth. Not only that, but he goes in a couple of verses and, and, and all of a sudden he, he hears God's voice and he says, who shall send, who shall go for me? And Isaiah said, I will. You see, it's amazing how when he was transformed, it also released Isaiah into the purpose on his life. See, you have to truly give him your truth because when you give him your truth, you can accept his truth. And when you accept his truth, it will propel you into your destiny. Worship. It's far beyond a song. It's bringing our lives before him and before his word. And allowing it to transform us. Go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Holy Spirit, help me this morning. Hmm. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. 
the King James, it says, and they came over, this is verse one, and they came over on the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. Just think about this. They just left thousands of people. Jesus and the disciples left thousands of people, Cassie, on that side. And they were seeing miracles. They were seeing signs. So much so that Jesus had to get into the boat and minister the word. And so they launch over to the other side and they get there. And, and they get there and they, they come out of the ship and it said there met him of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Who had his dwelling, verse 3 says, who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broke in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. You see, cutting isn't a new phenomenon. All these things had to do with sexual references. It had to do with, with all sorts of things going on. And nothing is, nothing is far beyond what is happening and what's been happening in our society. The enemy is the same. He, he has no new tricks. He, he, is, he is one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so here, this man, one man, Jesus came on the other side. He left thousands to come to one man. Verse 6, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now, get this, a demon-possessed man came and worshipped him? Wow. Now, you're like, well, maybe it meant something different. No, it meant worship. Because I believe deep down on the inside of that man, he was still there. I believe deep down that demon-possessed man, he said, you know, we're legion and we're many. I believe deep down on the inside of him when he first saw Jesus, he's like, I'm seeing my answer. My truth has been bondage. My, my truth is I'm in this place cutting myself. My truth is that no one wants to be around me. My truth is that, that the whole community feels good as long as they keep me chained up out here. No one else comes out here to check on me. No one else comes out here just to see if I'm still chained up. But yet Jesus left a thousand people to come and reach one man. But what was the man's first response? He knelt down and he worshiped him. And that's when the enemy took over. It's my, my rendition. Because the next verse says, And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have you to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that you torment me not. And he said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. You see, worship was the beginning of this man's deliverance. Amen. But yet, see, the enemy doesn't want you to step into his truth. Amen. The enemy would rather you stay bound. The enemy would rather you stay addicted. The enemy would rather you stay a loser. The enemy would rather you stay a failure. And we look in verse 14. It says, And they that fed the swine fled and told into the city and the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and looked intently, certainly at the man who was a demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. The same man who had the legion. Or demons, and they were seized with alarm and struck with fear. 
heard someone say about that, this scripture one time. He said, they were struck with fear when the man was free, but they weren't struck with fear letting him stay bound. <laughs> Think about that. Worship is the catalyst for your personal transformation. Worship. Go to Revelations. Revelation chapter 19. While you're turning to 19, just let me read a scripture to you in Revelation chapter 7. It says, And one of the elders saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence did they come? And he said to them, Sir, you, you know. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the now listen, they are there before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Now listen, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of water, and God shall swipe away all their tears from their eyes. Sounds like the woman at the well, right? Worship. If you had had my water, you would never, if you just understood worship, you see, she worshiped every time she went to that well. She was, she was putting her focus on the water. But Jesus said, hey, you need to put your focus on something else. Worship God. He's looking for worshipers that will worship all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Revelation chapter 19. Thank you, Father. Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, Amplified says, Then the angel said to me, write this down, Blessed, happy to be envied are those who are summoned, invited to the marriage supper of the land. And he said to me further, these are the true words, the genuine and the exact declarations of God. Now listen, these are true words, and these are the exact declarations of God. I mean, I'm telling you word for word. So here the angel is telling word for word of what God says. Verse 10, then I fell down at his feet to worship, to pay divine honors to him. But he restrained me and he said, don't do that. Refrain. You must not do that. I'm only another servant with you and your brethren who have accepted and hold the testimony born by Jesus, worship God. So this testimony born by Jesus was what? Worship God. You know what Jesus' testimony everywhere he went was worship God. If Jesus would tell you anything today, right now, you know what he's going to tell you? Worship God. This is the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Joseph, you know what Jesus' testimony is? Worship God. And it goes on and says, this is a spirit of prophecy. So the prophecy that Jesus would speak to you would be worship God. The worship that he'd speak to you, Mr. Baldwin, worship God. That, that's the bottom line. Jesus, that's, that's the only thing. It's worship God. Let's go to chapter 22. Verse 3 says, There shall no longer exist there anything that is accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall worship him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, 
and they shall be no more night, and they shall have no need for a lampstand or sunlight, for the Lord will illuminate them to be their light, and they shall reign as kings forever and ever. Verse six, and he of the seven angels further said to me, these statements are reliable and genuine, and the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, has sent his messenger to make known and exhibit to his servants what must soon come to pass. Verse seven, and behold, I'm coming speedily. Blessed is he who observes and lays to heart and keeps the truths of this prophecy contained in this little book. And I, John, am he who heard, and I witnessed these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell before the feet of the messenger, the angel, who showed them to me to worship him. But he said to me, refrain, you must not do that. I'm only a fellow servant along with yourself and with your brethren, the prophets, and with those who are mindful of and practice the truth contained in this book. No, I'm just your fellow servant. I'm just the same thing the prophets that went before you, the same thing that's been saying all the way throughout the entire book, all the prophets, Jesus, everything, have been saying the same thing. And I say the same message that's in this book, worship God. It's everything, worship God. You don't know what to do, worship God. You don't know the next step to take, worship God. You don't know how to overcome, worship God. You're hurting inside, worship God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service and your spiritual worship. Worship, it's far beyond a sound we release. It's a substance that we release. We release our worship when we release our faith in him. We release our worship when we give. We release our worship when we serve. We release our worship when we reach out to someone else. James says true religious worship is this, is that you minister to the orphans and the widows. Worship. You know, I, I think of worship, I think of Cornelius. It said as his alms came before God. What happened? His worship caused a transformation. What was the transformation? You and I could be accepted. As Gentiles that didn't have a covenant with God, we could be accepted. J. Iris, it said he came and he lied prostrate before Jesus and said, Master, can you come heal my daughter? Worship was the beginning of transformation in his family. Worship. Secret place, our position, it's worship. A life of prayer, it's a life of worship. And it will transform every part of your life. It will turn your truth into his truth. Yeah. I not know about you, but I want his truth. Yeah. I want his truth. Yeah. Everyone stand to your feet.